This is a podcast called Walk, Talk, Listen, an attempt to connect people and make this world a bit better by sharing opinions and experiences based on the belief that everyone's perspective is true, albeit partial. My name is Maurice Blum, and I would like to welcome you to yet another episode of Good day, everybody. This is another episode of the podcast Walk, Talk, Listen. I'm really excited. Uh, I'm always excited. I, I, uh, you know that, but today I'm really excited because I will have a conversation with a good friend and, and colleague um, that I know from the work around the UN, and that is Steve, who will introduce himself. Steve, go Hi ahead, everyone. Please. I, my name is Steve Chu. Maurice, I'm so happy to be here with you guys. Um, I serve as a representative to the United Nations for a humanitarian aid organization called Buddhist Siji Foundation. In Chinese, that translates to compassionate relief. And uh, we're really dear friends here within the UN space. Um, and then also I live here in New York City where I work and live in that context. And then I also make art and uh, spend my time trying to imbue uh, my life with nature, creativity, and joy. And so I think this notion of being able to walk, talk, and listen with you, Maurice, and the community at large is an ethos and idea that I'm really about and really excited to have this conversation with you all. Great. And I'm also looking forward to, to our conversation, Steve. Tell us a little bit, you know, were you, were you born and raised in, in, uh, in New York? And if not, where? And, and uh, so where did you grow up? What did you study? And how did you finally end up, you know, where you are today? For sure. Yeah. So I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. I was born and raised out of there. My parents come from uh, Taipei, Taiwan. And so they immigrated over um, in like the 90s when they wanted to like have a different life here in the States. And they gave birth to me in Columbus. And from there, I've kind of been uh, exposed to this notion of like living in rural communities and just uh, growing up in like this rural suburban uh, context. And so New York City was something that I never experienced until like I moved here for work. I studied uh, biochemistry at the Ohio State University and I took a minor in studio arts where I focused in on painting and drawing mm -hmm. um, and just really wanted to kind of expose myself to different understandings of like what it means to live, right? Like, so from a biochemical perspective, like what happens when like we eat food? How does that get turned into energy? And like, why does that allow for us to live, right? Like what's the chemistry behind, like what propels our lives forward um, and kind of understanding like at a molecular level, why I exist, right? Mm -hmm. And so like, that was the existentialist of me. And then, but I, I felt that wasn't enough. Yeah. Right. Okay. And so similarly, um, going into like arts, it was the same thing. Right. Like mm -hmm. if life is like something that is created from like a molecular level um, and like we have these like governing principles that kind of like ground the ways that our bodies work. And it still doesn't answer the question of like, why? Like, why do we live if life is uh, like here? If I am here on this planet, like 
what do we do to uh, give purpose and breathe um, like a higher understanding than just like I exist, right? And so I'm like, oh, there's beauty in um, life. There is creativity. There's joy to be found in this practice of creation and making, right? And so I wanted to tap into that. And so my college years were spent oscillating between these two sides of like science and mm. uh, arts, right? But those two still didn't really capture the full picture, mm -hmm. right? And luckily, I had like this third uh, wheel on this vehicle of Steve Chu trying to understand life, mm -hmm. which was uh, faith and Buddhism and recognizing that like these three vehicles kind of governed the way that I interacted with life and interpreted my world. Buddhism was this beautiful uh, way for me to better understand like purpose of life, right? And for here, we really came to understand like the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path, where we like from this context of Buddhism saw that like, no matter the good, the bad, the uh, beautiful and the ugly, everything had this root of suffering attached to it, because at some level, life was impermanent, right? Like I could have this really beautiful and great experience, but um, if I was attached to this beautiful and great thing, I would still suffer because at some moment it would go away because of the impermanence of life, right? So when faced with this notion that uh, all of these great and bad things in life are intrinsically impermanent and rooted in this notion of suffering, I wanted to relieve this suffering. And so I had to go down this uh, way of being, which is to adhere to an eightfold path. Right. And that talks about right livelihood, right mindfulness, right actions. And this notion of like wanting to pattern my life in a way that reduces suffering and helps me uh, awaken to like a more uh, beautiful understanding of life. Right. And so those were like the three wheels of like Steve as a young person trying to understand life. Um, so when I graduated college, I had this really interesting question that I had to ask myself, which is recognizing that I've been able to experience life through these three vehicles. How do I want to continue to live my life as a young professional? Where do I want to go and like pattern my actions in the daily life to like kind of uh, seek purpose and fulfillment in a career? And so Tsuji Foundation was hiring for a program uh, associate in New York City. And I jumped at the opportunity because I'm like, oh, this could fulfill all three of my mm -hmm. like vehicles, right? Like yeah. it could give me a way to be exposed to the creativity here in New York City. I could give back to this organization that has taught me so much in the lens of Buddhism. And that at the same time, like deepen my understanding of like life by exposing myself to mm -hmm. like all these scientists that work at the UN, um, that work on food systems and the likes, right? And so mm -hmm. I kind of dove headfirst into that uh, almost 10 years ago. And Ten I've years been ago. working wow. in this okay. space ever since. Yeah. I I, I, I yeah, just a quick question about um you know the three spheres um yes. which goes back to you know the, the Greek philosophers right um who, who looked at that as well um so did it come your interest sequential or all at the same time we were going back and forth between the three yeah I think I I had this it was like there were certain moments in my life that mm -hmm. some sounds were louder than others, right? And so I I felt that the patterning for me was more a timeline than mm -hmm. it was um, all at once. And uh, but at the same time, there were still inklings and hints of these 
actions and activities, right? So when I first entered college, I was very focused on this notion of like studying and understanding biochemistry. At the same time, I'd find myself like drawing on the side, right? Just as like a life interest, Mm -hmm. but not really like understanding that that had like a higher meaning, right? At the same time, I'd be volunteering with Siji and like serving Mm -hmm. my community just because that's something I cared about, right? But never like having that like awakened moment of like, Mm -hmm. this has a deeper purpose and meaning to me outside of just this is something that I like doing, right? And then upon hitting like this understanding and like endpoint to where I wanted to understand biochemistry and like finishing my major, right? I was left with like a year uh, and a half worth of like, study time that I was like, what do I want to do? And being confronted with this notion that this understanding alone is not enough, mm-hmm. that poured me into the arts, right? And then the arts led me into this question of like a higher understanding of life and into faith and into knowing that like life itself cannot just be material alone, but that we have to have a notion of spirituality. We have to uh, honor and recognize that which is immaterial and cannot be seen. Um, and that kind of like governs the way that we li- live our lives. Yeah. And so so you're saying that already 10 years you're now with, with the foundation? Mm. um so it's it's providing you with everything you're searching for or how how's that going yeah i think it's working for tsuji is such a beautiful Mm -hmm. uh, thing i think especially the way in which i'm able to uh, engage with both the foundation and the world writ large so tell, tell, because, the, tell the listeners exactly what you do, because I know it a, a little bit, but but uh, yeah. let's inform the listeners. What, what, is your, what is your job? For sure. So I serve as a representative to the United Nations for Buddhist mm-hmm. Siji Foundation. And then I'm also our program director for Global Partnerships Affairs um, it, within Siji USA. And mm-hmm. so what that means, if I were to distill it down to like a mm-hmm. very simple idea, is I get to meet with some of the foremost experts in the world across all of these global issues um, and t- that touch on sustainable development goals, um, even the inner development goals, and work across the nexus of United Nations issues to advocate for CG's uh, best practices, help shape global policy at the United Nations, and facilitate partnerships for my community of Siji volunteers at the local level, um, wherever we are spread across 128 countries around the world. And so all that to say that like Mm -hmm. this job allows for me to meet with so many people, right? And so, whereas I think in a traditional nine to five job where we simply see employment as just a means of um, receiving a paycheck to continue our lives uh, and like to fuel our lives so we can do the things that we care about. Mm -hmm. I think I found myself in a really um, lucky opportunity where I'm able to pursue something that I care deeply about while still having like a really fulfilling livelihood and being able to access this diverse diaspora that exists outside of my own known community. Yeah. Okay. Um, you, I would like to go back to what you mentioned that your work on the sustainable development goals. So that's something that I try to discuss with my guests because I would like uh, my listeners to really know about the sustainable development goals. Well, you know, it's your 
you know, part of the job that you're doing. So my question to you is, what do you want uh, the listeners to know about the sustainable development goals and, and why it's important? You know, is yeah. it making a difference? Mm. So I think the sustainable development goals is such a beautiful platform, right? And a lot of times I think, especially with youth and uh, those who are, who care about the world and want to find a way to give to communities in need often come with this question of how do I help uh, make the world a better place, right? And it can be very, it's a very daunting task and it can be very easy to get lost in the multiplicity of challenges and crises and be faced with this notion of like everything that I do feels too small to matter, right? And the sustainable development goals is the pushback against that narrative, right? Which says no matter who you are, what you're interested in, and what you want to do, you have a place in this movement of creating change because any change you make is interconnected, right? The Sustainable Development Goals proves as a uh, platform that if we create um, actions that address poverty, that we're able to then um, facilitate ways to reduce hunger, right? And by reducing hunger, we also have the opportunity to reduce gender inequality, right? That everything is interconnected. And so no matter where your entry point is into the Sustainable Development Goals, it provides you with this roadmap of creating change, right? And not only does it create this roadmap, but it is honestly one of the best tools that we as uh, organizations and individuals have to facilitate uh, a shared platform for mutual understanding, um, collaboration, and partnership. Right. Because sometimes organizations may seem too far apart. Right. Like our visions of like what it means to create a better world uh, may seem very different. Right. And so oftentimes it can be very easy to write that off as like it's a us and them. You're not my tribe because you're not working on food systems and you're not doing things related to like plant based transformation. Right. But then you realize if we take a step back that these actions that we as an individual organization are taking flow into the framework of the sustainable development goals and therefore also create an opportunity for us to partner, let's say, with uh, groups that work specifically in gender equity. Right. And then so all of a sudden you're like, well, what's the midpoint? Whoa, maybe it's let's work with women farmers to empower them to have a cycle of um, like sustainable income where they're working to create better food systems in their local community. Right. Like there's ways that which the sustainable development goals pattern out collaboration and interconnected uh, actions that I think is very rare in these global platforms, which oftentimes fall into silos rather than collaboration. Hmm. Um, but Steve, it's by the fact that we have come up with these sustainable development uh, goals and the framework, we are not making the progress as we should, right? So we have a lot of challenges. Um, well, I, I know you are familiar also with the inner development goals. So this is a result of a group of people who said, you know, one of the reasons why we are not making the progress that we need to make is because we don't uh, or we never pay proper attention to uh, the skills, knowledge and abilities that we need as individuals and as well as communities. Therefore, they came up with the inner development goals. So the five goals that I identified are being, thinking, relating, collaborating and action. Yeah. So my, my question to you is, you know, do you agree with this group of people that develop these inner development goals? And, and if so, if you see value in the inner development goals, can you maybe 
you know, give your take on it and, and how you look at it. For sure. Yeah, I think wholeheartedly stand by the inner development goals in that oftentimes I think we find ourselves within the UN space and society writ large caught in this cycle of wanting to be maximalist productive, right? We want to constantly churn out results. Society is obsessed mm -hmm. with productivity, with outcomes, and with creating with uh, this endless sense of go, 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 that each mm -hmm. step of the way, we are looking to one-up ourselves from whatever we did before, right? And I think this culture is one that focuses and fixates a lot on materialism, right? It fo fixates a lot on the material world, and it doesn't do justice to the people who are responsible for creating the outcomes, right? Um, we talk a lot about like training uh, the trainers. We talk a lot about like thinking about what it means to empower our employees to be more productive by sending them to classes where they learn better strategies. But a lot of times those strategies, those training classes, they're all fixated on like, how do you navigate the material world in a better way, right? And the inner development goals, I think, posits a um, new lens that we need to look at productivity, that we need to look at progress, and that we need to look at creating outcomes, right? To say that it's not just about like, how do we create um, like better systems that help people uh, be more productive, but it's also about the people themselves, right? How do these people's inner lives um, hold space for reflectiveness, that holds space for healing and that holds space for rest, right? And that posit that slowness has a power to it that allows for us to create meaningful impact rather than driving uh, for like fast-paced actions and speed. This notion of like uh, the first inner development goal being um, being, right? And having our relationship to ourselves is one that I think can create a better culture of um, progress where we're not so fixated on outputs so we hold space to prevent burnout right i think and this is something that within the young generation these days we're seeing a lot of good um direction towards right that we're recognizing amongst the youth that um societies and um corporate culture and the way we view employment and labor as it is right now in this hyper uh paced late stage capitalist model is not treating us as individual workers and beings with enough respect. Um, and that in part also comes from because we ourselves aren't loving and caring for ourselves enough either, right? And so there's this revolution that's mm -hmm. stirring and bubbling, right? Okay. So how do you work on that yourself, for yourself? Mm -hmm. And yeah. how do you work on that uh, together with your teammates and your colleagues and maybe sure. your staff even. Yeah, staff, definitely. I, I think, oh, I love this question so much. So I work within the UN context um, to promote values and this vision of interconnected sustainability, where it's not just about like our ability to help 
care for individuals who need our aid, but empower them, right? And then not only through empowering them through like giving them like material frameworks that allow for them to be trained to learn how to like grow their own food and like have um, their own like financing structures, um, but then also to empower these individuals through like their faith and spiritual lens, right? No matter what faith traditions they come from, how can we better uh, strengthen them to tap into these notions so that they can uh, have a deeper sense of purpose and awakening of sorts where they're able to marry their spiritual lives with their uh, material lives. Right. And so as an individual, this is something or as an organization, this is something that we do within the UN context. Right. But as an individual serving this organization, I, too, need my sense of nourishment, my sense of rest, my sense of um, pace of life, recognizing that I am also wrapped up in the machine of hyper productivity, of endless meetings, of endless emails and Zoom calls. Right. Like, how do I as an individual also model this? I, I, I love that question. Right. Right. And I, I think my answer for you, Maurice, is um, art, right? Art is the salvation to um, mm. this endless um, desire to constantly want to produce and uh, be productive within the UN sphere, right? It's the, through creativity that I'm able to slow myself down and mm -hmm. listen to my inner voice. Um, and see that reflected on the paper, right? Like, I don't have to like what I create today. I don't have to like what I create ever, right? But I have to like this process of sitting with myself and witnessing what is created on the page and then asking myself, whoa, like, is this where I want to be with my life? Is this what I'm creating? Is this like something that I'm really excited about, right? So when life is good for me, when I know I'm working at a healthy pace of life, mm -hmm. um, and I know that the things that I'm doing are purposeful and meaningful, my creative check-ins with myself are beautiful, right? They're things mm -hmm. that I resonate deeply with. They're uh, creatures and visuals that I feel bring joy and spark a sense of like discovery, right? Like I, I feel like recently I've been making really cute art. So I'll just quickly pull up uh little drawing for you cool. that i think just like brings so much yeah. joy to me right because it's like really beautiful colors De describe this... it uh, steve for for a second because you know yeah. we have this is a podcast so we can't show it oh for sure yeah <laughs> so it's just this little bear right and it's a little yeah. bear and he's like standing in a sea of clouds with red shoes right really red shoes and it's mm -hmm. this cute little graphic that i think represents and like really captures this sense of joy that i feel in the moment right mm -hmm. behind the bear there are flames right so there's something imminent brewing there might be some challenges on uh the horizon mm -hmm. but the bear is smiling uh and he has this sense of ease right and i think that notion of like how my visuals reflect um the moment is something that like allows for me to kind of check in with my inner self mm -hmm. right and then so similarly like knowing that I have to slow down, knowing that like, um, especially living within New York City, that pace of life is something that is uh, so important to me. Um, last year, I took up biking as like my passion and hobby and a way of commuting around the city, right? And so rather than taking a hour train ride into the city, um, I bike for an hour and 15 minutes, right? And it's that much a little bit slower. But what I found is that like in engaging with a different mode of transportation, engaging with micro mobility, I've been able to 
gain this deeper connection to my community, to the natural world around me. I see the shifts in weather. I'm more attuned to the people that are like coming and going because I see regulars, right? Like I bike with some people that are like flowing in the same direction with me every other day, right? And this notion of in exchanging um, our speed of life to become slower, we're able to gain things, right? And those things that we gain oftentimes are immaterial, Mm -hmm. right? It's this deeper uh, sense of like, community. It's this sense of connectivity with nature. And I would encourage all of our listeners to think as we think about what it is to have a relationship with ourself is how do we slow ourselves down away from this um, hyper-paced lives that we live right now mm-hmm. to gain uh, something beautiful and whatever that is that we pursue. And so that's that's individual, right, Maurice? Yeah. But then there's also collective. So mm-hmm. within CG as an organization, what yeah. do we do to pattern this out? And mm-hmm. I think it's so cool because a lot of what I find, um, like healthy habits that I have, I've mm-hmm. learned from the organization. Right. So mm-hmm. in Chinese, we have this phrase that we use a lot in Siji called fa qing guan huai. And that is to say, um, when we translate that to English, it's less poetic, but it means like Dharma brothers and sisters check in. Right. And this notion uh, is one that applies throughout our community, whether you're a volunteer, a staff, or a simple community member who's um, here to hang out with us, or an aid recipient we're all considered like part of this uh, sangha or the community of um, individuals that consist of the um, organization that we're part of, right? And so as a part of this check-in process um, that we have, it is to say that each and every person who is part of this organization is deserving of time, energy, and care from their community members. It doesn't matter how busy you are, we need to build in time for this individual to check in with the community, be loved and cared by the community, and have the community understand what their needs are, right? So we need to ask for help, right? I'm busy this month organizing um, these uh, sessions that are framed around sustainability. So as a result, I might not have time to cook for myself, right? And Mm -hmm. so what that means, I'm either going to eat out like crazy, right? Or I can ask for help. If I ask for help, then that means maybe some of my community members who are cooking um, meals for their families might be like, oh, Steve, there's an extra plate of food for you here. Um, Just come by for dinner, right? And then knowing that that is there, that allows for my support system to then support me in my time of need, right? Which then means I'm able to do the things that I do uh, and need to do in a way that is more at ease, more calming, and less anxious about like, where am I going to find food? Do I have to eat out? Eating out isn't healthy. What does this mean for my long-term health, right? Like none of those questions exist because I know I have this community that I can check Mm -hmm. in with and that is checking in with me, right? Sometimes asking for help is hard. Right. So what does that mean? That means anytime we have staff and volunteers that are assigned to projects, we have volunteers and our other community members and other staff mm-hmm. that are uh, self-motivatedly checking in with this individual and saying, what do you need right now? Right. Like what will help you succeed and what can we do to help? Right. And so what that mm-hmm. means as a model and for our listeners is asking this question of, am I in this space of privilege right now where I can help others? Right. If I am, can I reach out to those around me that I care about that I know might be going through a hard time and ask, what can I do for you, right? 
Or am I finding myself in a moment of pressure, stress, and intensity where life feels a little difficult, right? If it is, who can I reach out to ask for help from? And then in turn, knowing that if I am being helped, in turn, that means down the line, I can help others. Mm. No, thank, thanks for that, uh, uh, Steve. I, I'm go going to make a jump. Normally, I ask this question later in, in the conversation, but with you, I'm, I'm shaking it a bit up. Um, you know, I think since... Um, I have to think... Yeah, it maybe four or five uh, episodes ago, I introduced the question of the previous guest. And so I have a question for you. Um, of a previous guest, um, which is uh, Leah. Um, so please listen to, to this. My question for the next guest is, what do you hope people say in your eulogy? Could you hear that? Yeah, loud and clear. Okay, Steve. Mm. I think... It's hard for me to think about like what others would say, but I know I, or, or maybe let me put it this way. I know at some point I will die. And knowing that I've tried to pattern the life that I live, knowing that today could be my last day. And so in 2016, I uh, got into this car crash. Um, where I was crossing the street and this car ran a light, ran into me, sent me to the hospital. I was laying in the hospital and I was looking back at my life and I was very like at ease. I was like, it's been very, it's been a very good life. I know I've lived to my life's purpose and I don't have any regrets. So first and foremost, at my eulogy, I would want to like have someone read out, hello, my name is Steve Chu. I'm reading this from beyond the grave. I've lived a life with no regrets. Thank you so much. Right? Like that that notion that uh -huh. like, I hope that by the time I reach the end of my life, I can still say that. Because mm -hmm. to this day right now, I can confidently say that I've lived a life with no regrets. Not in the sense that like, I've achieved everything that I wanted to do and like, mm -hmm. life has been good to me, but rather that like, the way that I've lived my life, the way that I've approached um, life itself has been modeled in a way that aligns with my values, that um, I've taken actions that I think have helped my community grow. And so for what other people would say, I hope that at my eulogy, those around me that are celebrating my life would say that being around Steve made me feel more creative, more joyful, and saw hope in the world that I live in and inspired me to create uh, systems for my community that will last beyond my own life in a way that Steve did for his, right? And this notion of like a lasting impact is something that I hope people can take away from my own life. That um, in being able to witness my way of being, whether that's through my art making, my advocacy, or simply by like having tea with me, that they're fueled with this sense of hope, drive uh, to create change, and uh, confidence that they have the ability to make the world a better place in whatever way they can.
Thanks, thanks, Steve, for for that. And I I know you a little bit, and I'm I'm sure there will be somebody that have a have a beautiful speech about you with this particular uh, yeah message. So, your question for the next guest. Hmm. I would love to know what our next guest is doing to break the cycles of business as usual. How are they innovating in their lives to create change in a way that disrupts what we already know to be to give us a better future? Okay, then my question to you, why why do we need to uh, not continue with business as usual, Steve? Yeah, Maurice, uh, <laughs> it's a lovely question. And it's something that I think the two of us think a lot about too, right? But business as usual right now is exploitative. It's extractive. The way we live in relationship with our planet, the mm-hmm. way we live in relationship with each other, and the way we live in relationship with ourselves oftentimes uh, is founded upon principles that don't see the value in us don't see the value in our planet it's become like these machines that we've created as human beings to create the societies that we have now right have perpetuated notions of extraction exploitation that are founded on notions of colonialism and capitalism right that's not to say that intrinsically these two structures um were like the baddest of the bad and not the way forward for humanity, right? Like we have to, at some level, owe a nuance to the fact that like to bring people together, um, to explore the world, the only like motivating force seemed to be at the time colonialism, right? And to be able to understand like mass trade and uh, the exchange of like ideas, capitalism at some way in shape and form was needed. Right. But to say that at this moment in time with society the way it is, with the Internet being what it is, that um, colonial ideals of extraction and exploitation and capitalism morphed into this ugly creature that it is right now, where everything has a price tag and there's no value unless it can be commodified, is the way for our society to be. When there are so many beautiful alternative models of care and share is like a little absurd. Right. So business as usual um, is broken and it works for a select few. But by and large, there are so many communities and populations around the world that are not be able to flourish because of business as usual. Right. And so to disrupt business as usual means that we need to rethink how we um, interact and approach our relationship with the planet. Right. Are we just chopping down trees so we can create factory farm operations so we can feed a growing desire for the Western diet of like meat as the dominant thing on your plate within these emerging uh, developing countries who are growing in their wealth? Right. Is this the way forward where we destroy our planet? Right. Or can we do it in a way that like there's a sense of regeneration? Right. Where for every tree we chop down, we plant two. Right. But what does that mean? That means holding our corporations accountable. Right. And how do we do that without uh, reinventing uh, business as usual? Right. We have to disrupt business as usual. Um, Similarly, the relationship that we have to each other, to people. Right. Are we going to continue to sit on an us and them paradigm where those who are different uh, from me, whether in skin tone, belief uh, or like ideology, 
are separate, right? And I do not care, love, and treat them with uh, respect and fundamental human rights. Mm. Or can we say that no matter who you are, no matter what you believe in, that fundamentally these there is this umbrella of respect, dignity, care that I will give you. I will sit down with you and listen to your different ideas. I may not agree with them, Mm-hmm. But that does not mean I condone violence upon you. That does not mean that I condone the marginalization and exploitation of your community simply because you're seen as lesser than me, right? But that we are all fundamentally and intrinsically equal. And I think that narrative has to be strengthened in a moment when we see that uh, there's this forced sense of scarcity, Right. Like growingly so with the increasing amount of disasters in the world, with the increased amount of like artificial scarcity that is being created by um, corporations, that is being created by governments that are trying to shrink civil society space, that is created by communities that feel less than safe. Right. There's a scarcity that's created. How do we push back against the scarcity and say, no, fundamentally, we have everything we need. Right. That like this world provides for us. However, the way we divide our resources, the way we uh, utilize our resources is not equitable. The amount of food waste that goes into this world, right? Like, what is that? Like, why does that exist in a Mm. moment when so many people are starving, right? So we need to disrupt business as usual and create new innovative systems that are fundamentally grounded in values of equity, dignity, um, interdependence, and uh, fundamental human rights. So that, that's a lot to put our shoulders under and to, to work on. Um, where do you still see hope? Mm, yeah, I think it's a lot to do, right? Like, it's a big mm-hmm. ask. Like, yeah. how do you create change in a moment where there are so many oppressive systems, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you create change in a system that does not want to want to change, right? And so I think before I answer that, I'll first make a tangent just to say that I think one of our larger challenges right now as society is this hyperfixation on individualism, right? And so as individuals, um, it's very difficult to see hope, right? Because what can I as one person alone do, right? I'm already having a difficult time getting by as is, right? Like I, I can pay my bills, but like, can I save money? Like, can I afford to buy a house in the future? Can I ha- afford to have a family? I think these narratives are very customary to like the young people of this age, right? Like how can I continue to make money um, and like get a better job so that I can be able to like have a better life in the future? Like these are very real and tangible things. But what this forgets is that we are fixated only on the individual, right? Perhaps the question isn't how do I get a better job so that I can have a uh, easier life in the future so that I can raise a family and buy a house. But rather, it's how do I create a community around me that supports me so that I can have a better job or a, even not even the same job, right? But a better relationship with my job. And then so that I can have a better ability to raise a family, right? Because it's not just about money, right? Like you can make all the money in the world. If you don't have time for your kids, like you're not going to be like raising a good family, right? But if you have a community that is surrounding you, that can care for this child, uh, that can support you when you're exhausted, right? Like there's, there's so much more possibility that exists within a community than an individual, right? And so oftentimes the modern anxiety that individuals face 
is so because we ignore the power that community brings. And we're not educated, we're not empowered to learn how to build this community. Because each individual is so individualized in their own struggle and we're all like hyper-focused on our own needs, we forget uh, the power that comes from building this community and how individuals can actually benefit exponentially from like their efforts by simply being a part of this community, right? But community requires sacrifice, right? Community requires commitment. And those are things that within a narrative of individualism, are, you ask like, why do I want that, right? And so for us to create hope is to create community. And the um, oftentimes we talk about like, what's the sell, right? Like sell me on an idea. Like why go through the hardship of creating a community of individuals who may have different opinions if uh, like I could just, be perfectly happy by myself. There's no drama living by my own individual self, right? Like I don't have to manage the emotions and expectations of other people. I can just kind of get by, right? But the cell is this, right? By creating a flourishing and healthy community around you, not only do you have access to an exponential amount of resourcing that like is immaterial, right? The amount of like emotional comfort that you can get by being around um, people in your community, the amount of like uh, knowledge and insights and networks that you're able to tap into, the amount of resources that are just sitting there waiting to be used, but they don't know how to use it because they don't have a common purpose, a common goal, right? All of these things are just waiting to be activated, right? And all it requires for us to do is say that there is something greater than my own self-interest in this moment that I can put my effort towards and begin to build that community. No, thanks for that, Steve. That, that's a lot to uh, digest. I, I really appreciate that. Um, mm. you, you know, I, I uh, th this podcast is a spin-off of a 100-mile walk that I started more than 10 years ago. Uh, to raise awareness and funds to end hunger, poverty, and injustice. Um, you know, and and when I do these uh, these walks, and then the next one is scheduled uh, at the end of March, beginning of April in the Seattle area. I really invite people to uh, to check it out. Um, come out maybe to walk with me a couple of miles, or start your own campaign during that period, or support mine. Um, but you know, when I'm walking and I'm joined by some other people, we often talk uh, about, you know, what's the purpose of life and um, also about, um, you know, religion, spirituality. And the question I'm really interested in is to, from my guest, is to hear what do you see happening uh, among the young people in your community? in relation to religion and spirituality? Yeah. I think as youth, with as a young person within the Buddhist community, and then um, I have, I'm really lucky to have the privilege to work within interfaith contexts too. So I'm able to um, have this opportunity to also work with uh, youth within Muslim communities and Christian communities and uh, Jain communities, the likes. Right. And what I find so refreshing is within the young faith uh, movement, there is a sense of resistance 
there's a sense of um, like being able to take our faith teachings, contextualize them into this modern moment and say that our faiths give us the tools to dismantle patriarchy, right? Our uh, faith gives us the lessons and um, ways forward to be able to end um, discrimination, right? And our faiths give us the tools to heal ourselves from the wounds inflicted upon us by society writ large, right? And we're able to go through this process of unlearning and then relearning, right? We're also able to unlearn unhealthy narratives that exist within our own faith, right? To say that like these uh, exploitative patterns that may have been perpetuated by our faith traditions themselves in the name of God, in the name of love, in the name of faith, right? Are things that we don't need to hold on to as the ways to do things, right? We don't need to exploit um, individuals in the names of faith, right? Because that's not what our faiths teach us. And so there's this notion of resistance where we say that faiths give us the tools to resist these unhealthy narratives and walk the right path, right? And there's there's also clarity of mind to say that these issues are intersectional, that like when we work on um, environmentalism, that it intersects with racial justice. When we work on racial justice, it intersects with poverty, right? And that all of these different intersectionalities fundamentally are underscored by a lack of morals and values within our society that our faith traditions give us a framework to do, right? And to redress and to reshape. And so what we're seeing within the young faith movement also is that a lot of these individuals that are like coming into the faith movement right now as youth are just disillusioned individuals who say that society is not all it's cracked up to be, right? That the false promises that um, capitalism gives us that says like, work this, um, like career ladder, like just keep going up one step at a time and mm-hmm. you'll find happiness <laughs> eventually, right? Like grind out your soul day in, day out for no reason other than to make more money and you will find fulfillment, right? Yeah. And that it's hollow, that it's empty and that there must be something more in life, right? And we're seeing these individuals come back to their, uh, perhaps they were part of churches when they were growing up, right? And then they left because they felt like the church didn't speak to them in a way that they needed, mm-hmm. right? But they're coming back now and saying, okay, well, the church may not still speak to me, but the teachings do, right? Mm-hmm. The institutions may not serve me in the way that I wanted it to when I was young, mm-hmm. but I recognize the value and virtue that exists within the um, fundamental texts that are being sourced, right? So maybe I go to a different institution that also references this text, right? Mm. Or maybe I just study it by myself, right? And say, what is there to be, what wisdom is there to be gleaned that can Mm. show me what life is about beyond the material, right? And all of these individuals coming from different walks of life also have different expertise, right? It's no longer just the faith movement trying to create change as the faith movement. It's the faith movement working in an intersectional way to Mm. say, oh, like, I know really cool Buddhist who's working um, within the EPA, right? And she's trying to create like policies that would help us protect animals, Mm. right? Uh, And then you're like, wow, that has like a really cool intersection with this other like really great Christian dude who's working at like uh, Ernst & Young, right? Mm. Who can bring his consulting experience to help us move 
through these different patterns of bureaucracy and dismantle that, right? And then you're like, all of a sudden, we're working in these intersectional ways that mm-hmm. extend beyond the faith community itself. But the reason we're able to come together as community is because we have this shared set of values, right? Similar to how mm-hmm. like the sustainable development goals and the uh, inner development goals create these frameworks for collaboration. I think faith values is something that allows for us to create collaboration in an interfaith way. Mm. Now, thanks for sharing that, Steve. So so basically what you're saying, um, you know, what you see in your community is the younger generation maybe have gotten away from the institutional in, in institutions that they when they grew up but now they're coming back um they might go to other institutions or they are finding new ways where they incorporate um you know the the, the values that they learned during their upbringing or they had been exposed to uh, mm-hmm. from other uh, religions and faiths as well and they try to uh you know to make that part of themselves and of their community. Um, So is that creating challenges then for the existing big uh, faith traditions? Yes, it definitely is. And I think it's so fascinating, right? Because Mm. this also has, there's a third lens to this. Not only is there like the youth movement and how they're like uh, utilizing faith traditions, faith teaching spiritualities within their own lives, and then the institutions themselves, but we're also seeing a dangerous trend where corporations are trying to co-opt faith-based notions, principles uh, to perpetuate their business as usual, right? Um, During the pandemic, there was a uh, blip within Amazon's work where they created an innovative program called Amazon, which was a uh, mindfulness booth for warehouse workers to kind of like sit in this like confined booth and be... um, zen out for a moment while and then they zen out and then they go back to their uh, Mm -hmm. difficult warehouse jobs Mm -hmm. right and it's this narrative where we're like well like to try to incorporate mindfulness without a sense of community like a sangha right uh belies the fact that like you're not you're you're just going to be lost in your own thoughts right like to try to create mindfulness that is stripped away from a teacher-student relationship where you're able to lean on someone who has wisdom and help guide you through this process like kind of like morphs the whole practice into something Mm -hmm. that uh, can just be commodified and commercialized in in a way that like doesn't actually like serve you as the individual. It only serves the institution. Right. Mm -hmm. And then similarly, like something like Amazon, but not, not just Amazon, right. But like other programs that uh, corporations are trying to like create that co-opt and extract from fates. All it does is perpetuate a sense of uh, complacency amongst workers that say like, oh, yeah, like my my workplace environment may be terrible for me. Right. Like I may not necessarily have the best um, space, but at least I have this tiny little corner of sanctuary. Like, why not have the corporation just invest in better workplace um, infrastructure? Right. Like, why not just treat our workers with better dignity so they don't feel themselves overwhelmed with anxiety and stress trying to hit their deadlines and like their outputs um, because of the demands of the corporation. Right. And this that balance in the name of like profit is something that I think that's the third uh, wheel. Right. So Mm -hmm. as 
institutional faith-based organizations, um, ones that have like come from grandfathered legacies, ones that have like stood the test of times, ones that have like cropped up in the past like 60 years, right? Like there's this definitely this narrative of how do we um, recognize this emergent growing tide of individuals and hold space for them to still belong with us? Right. It's one thing to say, like, we as a faith community have a set of uh, rituals, actions and processes and systems that like our um, believers, our followers are um, are faithful, are part of. Right. But then like for those who may be like faith adjacent, how do they belong to our community as well? Do we welcome them with welcoming arms without the desire to convert them into our system? If that is so, what does that look like? Right. Mm. Um, and so we've seen successful models of this, right? Where, for example, within Siji's community, we have um like a tiered system where like depending on like how much you uh want to ascribe to the teachings of our founder, Dharma Master Zen Yen, um, you can participate with our organization in different ways, right? So for example, we have commissioners who are those who have like undergone formal training and uh, gone through this whole process of receiving Buddhist education, come to understand how Tsuji's operations run, and then like receive the training to know how to like design and create programs at a grassroots level to benefit communities, right? But then we also have simple volunteers who are like, I care about the mission and vision of Tsuji, which is alleviating the suffering of those in need, right? I may not uh, consider myself to be Buddhist, um, so I'm not going to like go through this process of like receiving a bunch of Buddhist education. Right. But like I ascribe to your values and I want to work together with you. Right. So I'm going to come and volunteer with you. Right. Then there's also those who are like, oh, I come from a different faith tradition. Right. Maybe I'm Baha'i. And but I really believe in the teachings of Buddhism. And I realize that I can see myself both as Buddhist and Baha'i. Right. And so they undergo this process and they're like, okay, well, now I'm a Baha'i commissioner of Tsuji. Right. So there's like that nuance to it too. Right. But that's something that as an organization, we found ourselves to have to like create that space. Otherwise, we're just excluding a bunch of people. Right. Mm -hmm. Then there's also another framework, which is like, okay, I, maybe I don't want to volunteer. Right. Because I don't have the time. I don't have the energy, but I believe in the work of Tsuji's. And so I want to be part of your community. Right. So that means like, oh, whenever we have like tea parties where we're coming to have like discussions and dialogues, we have events, we have gatherings where you're able to be a part of our community. Like I show up to those. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like thinking about like, where does this emergent youth population, which is like creating their own understandings of like how to integrate religion, faith, spirituality into their own lives. How do we create space for them? to make them feel like they're a part of our community in a way that is meaningful, purposeful, and not extractive and exploitative. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to accelerate um, asking you a couple of questions and then if you can try to, you know, come up with some quick uh, answers sure, so sure. within this what you just described where is steve um, you know where are you yeah are you sure. you know are you picking and choosing some of the buddhist things with and uh, mixing it or where are you 
Yeah. So I'm a certified commissioner of Tsuji Foundation. So mm-hmm. I've gone through like the whole training track. I've been with Tsuji for 23 years. So mm-hmm. like uh, consider myself Buddhist uh, by culture and then also by uh, faith. But I also, because I work through interfaith contexts, mm-hmm. am able to experience the beautiful diaspora of uh, faith traditions around me, participate in their uh, ceremonies, participate in their offerings and service. Um, I think ultimately I am someone who is rooted in the principle of serving others. So whatever form that takes, that's where I am. If I ask you to mention a piece of music or a song that embodies best or for a big part what you are about, which song or piece of music would that be and why? Mm. So I have a song. I, I love music so much. Music soundtracks my life. There's different songs for different times. And like I had such a difficult time thinking about this question when you sent it to me earlier, because I was like, how can I find one song that encapsulates everything that I'm about? And like in a way that like kind of like universally grasped at this umbrella and then it sent me into this existential spiral of like who am i and like what do i want uh from life and all of that but i found a song maurice and i i love it i hope you link it to our audience it's called unconditional i and it's by arcade fire and it's a uh-huh. song that talks it's the musicians singing to a child and the musician is saying trust your heart be true to yourself live the life that you know um you are meant to live be a gift to the world with the actions that you have mm-hmm. and trust that everything will work out because um this gift that you have within you is one that deserves to be shared to others and i think that's such a beautiful like mm. overarching message of something that like i try to pattern my life after and something that i hope to inspire in others as well okay can you repeat one more time the title the song and the, yeah. and the, the musician so the song is called unconditional I and then there's a little parenthesis that says mm-hmm. look out kid and okay. then it ends the parenthesis and then the song uh is sung by the band Arcade Fire. Okay, Arcade Fire. And we will, you know, we add the you know that particular song to the playlist that we developed mm. called hashtag walk talk listen, where all oh. the the songs are are uh, yeah part of that were chosen by my guests. Um it's Steve. a good walking song. It's a good yeah, yeah, walking no. song. Oh, it's like that's an good. Anthem. I, I will yeah. listen to it when <laughs> I start walking at the, at the end of March. Although I, I I try to get away from walking and, and putting my um, um, mm. headphones on because I wanted to be more experiencing the environment that I'm, I'm present. Uh, yeah, well, for sure. Be present. Yeah. Um, hey, St- Steve Martin uh, Hartman of CBS. Um, has a program, it's either online or on television, I don't know exactly, um, but he's collecting a simple acts of kindness uh, because he really believes uh, it can create a, a ripple effect. Mm. Two questions for you about that, about the simple act of kindness. Uh, what are your thoughts about that, you know, in terms of the simple act of kindness and, and its potential to create a ripple uh, effect? And second, uh, if I ask you right now, to come up with a simple act of kindness, um, what would you do? Mm. So I think my act, my eternal act is joy. And so to smile, to bring joy into space and to see the bright side of every tragedy that we find ourselves amidst, right? Like there's so much noise, there's so much chaos. How can we bring joy in a moment of so much pain and suffering? 
And it, I, I, get, I don't know if it's actually that simple, right? But it's the act that I've like tried my hardest throughout my entire life to bring. And then so similarly, as an act that we can give to others um, is grace, right? Hold space for others, be forgiving, and know that like sometimes people approach things with their best intentions. It doesn't work out. They might have had a difficult day. But to be graceful to each other and to be loving, knowing that you're all part of a community together. If I ask you to come up with a message uh, or an invitation or a question for the listeners, mm. what would that be? Yeah, I I love this conversation so much and I, I wish we had like another three hours to chat. I think my message to our audience would be slow down. Think about what it means to live a meaningful life. How do you pattern your life? What habits are a part of that meaningful life? And then how can we build more time into our lives to be reflective for our inner world and to listen to ourselves and what we truly need? Not what we want and what other people tell us we need, but what we, uh, in listening to our intuitive selves, truly need for this life to be meaningful, purposeful, and joyful. Thank you so much, uh, Steve. Any any questions that I did not ask that I should have asked you? No, I think we hit we hit everything, Maurice. <laughs> <laughs> I think so too, to be honest. Um, you know, Steve, Steve, thank you so much for making time to speak with me today. You know, um, for who you are, for for sharing your wisdom, your insights. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, continue doing what you do and and uh, thank you so much mm, yeah thanks so much maurice i'm so grateful to be able to be with you in this way we had a really nice uh digital walk you know um and for everyone online if you want to find me uh i don't exist on social media but i do write a newsletter once a month as a way to kind of update everything that i have going on in my life and creativity wise so if you're interested in that we'll link it in the show notes and i look forward to seeing you there Great. Thanks a lot. With over 1,100 miles walked, Maurice is yet again training to walk 100 more. So for those of you who aren't familiar, which if you're an avid listener, I'm sure you are, the 100-mile hunger walk was started in 2012 by Maurice to raise funds and awareness to fight hunger and poverty around the world. This annual event came to be because Maurice was inspired by the spirit of volunteerism behind the CWS-sponsored Crop Hunger Walks which are a community-organized charity event that takes place in over 500 locations across the U.S. each year. So because of this, Maurice decided to set out on his own journey and put his feet where his heart was. This year's 100-mile walk will take place from Monday, March 26th, to Saturday, April 1st, in Seattle, Washington. And on top of that, our fundraising campaign will run until the end of the summer. All the proceeds will go to support CWS's global programs that work to create a world where there is enough for all. So, how does 100-mile work? Well. Each year, Bloom walks 100 miles through CWS and crop communities and spends his time meeting with our crop volunteer teams, with beneficiaries, with local community members, political officials, students, artists, and other like-minded individuals like yourself who work to support their community and hunger and promote a healthy and nutritious lifestyle. This year's theme is centered around the inner development goals, 
The idea behind these is that we must first unlock and grow our inner capacity, skills, and abilities to fully materialize humanitarian transformation. These IDGs are guiding principles that help us achieve our goals as we work with local communities here in the U.S. as well as in the 60 plus countries that we work in to help end hunger and poverty while building healthy communities through increased nutritious lifestyles, especially for children. So what are some ways that you can get involved? Well, for those in the Seattle area, you can come out and walk with us for a mile, maybe two, or you can see how long you last. But don't worry, you can always come out and just say hi, meet with Maurice, have a chat, and then send him on his way. So on top of that, another easy way to get involved is to make a donation. Participants are also able to start their own fundraising page to continue their efforts by reaching out to their own communities to get involved as well. So to make a donation or start your own fundraising page, click the link. Well, of course, you're wondering where. Go to the podcast notes and click in the links. In other exciting news, this year, Maurice has been chosen to be an ambassador for Noxgear. Noxgear is a brand company who makes safety and visibility gear for people and their pets who love to walk, run, play sports, or anyone who lives an active or outdoor lifestyle. And yes, you're right. Also, this link can be found in the podcast notes. When the link is used to make any Noxgear purchase, 10% of the total purchase will be donated back to support CWS hunger and nutrition programs. So for anybody interested in joining us, getting more involved, or simply just wanting to stay connected, you can send us an email at innovationhub at cwsglobal.org. You're right. You can find the link again in the podcast notes. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And of course, if you haven't already, become a Walk, Talk, Listen subscriber. So let's get walking together. And don't forget to hashtag go the extra hundred mile. Thank you for listening to Walk, Talk, Listen. Please check us out on 100mile.org or follow us on Facebook or Instagram.